Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 39 Root Flush, Part 2 It's Warlock in the end. Of course it's Warlock. Weeks have gone by and they've been on the phone daily, emailing consistently, working out the details. They've spent nights evolving ideas. So late, Warlock slept on his couch a number of times. Things are starting to come together, piece by piece, and Aziraphale's feeling actually hopeful about all of it. Warlock throws himself onto Aziraphale's couch and accepts the carton of takeaway Aziraphale offers him. He knows Warlock's order by heart at this point. Spring rolls and red curry chicken. We got it, he says, grinning as he pops the container open. It is a guest spot on Sunny State's blog, where Aziraphale will submit a 3,000-word piece about his visit to wine country, which will help broaden his readership and will also net a nice sum for 3,000 words. Aziraphale's quite pleased to have these kinds of doors open. His own work, shared elsewhere. How exciting! They discuss it more as Warlock inhales his curry and Aziraphale picks at his pad thai. Warlock's working on a few other slots and he's tentatively offered Casey Maynard a post on Aziraphale's blog to see whether Aziraphale's readers enjoy these crossovers. They finish the meal and Aziraphale says, with some real cheer in it, so, what's next? Warlock looks at him. He stopped hiding these looks, the way Aziraphale feels like there are phrases across his face that Warlock's reading. Probably no one else in the world would be able to read him like this. That depends, Warlock says, and his voice is suddenly serious, his eyes looking at Aziraphale down to his bones. It might have been threatening once, but Aziraphale knows himself now, so he just looks back with a faint smile. We have enough options that it's time to look a bit long-term, Warlock explains. Things are good enough with FTA that we have some freedom. And I realize this is an intrusive question, but I feel like I need to ask it because I think I know the answer. Do you want to stay in L.A.? Ha! Trust Warlock to strike right to the heart of the issue. And Aziraphale opens his mouth and realizes it's been Warlock that he's been staying for. Not that Warlock needs him by any means, but Aziraphale knows how much of his current situation he owes to Warlock, and he doesn't want to make Warlock work any harder than he needs to. Warlock is 
family, Aziraphale thinks. It isn't just about him anymore. He needs to know that Warlock's happy too. I don't know where your personal business stands, and I don't want to know, Warlock continues with a grin. But I know you well enough, and I think it's something to think about. Aziraphale ducks his head. Move in with me, Crowley had said, and he'd pressed it into Aziraphale's skin with his mouth, burning it like scars into his heart. Aziraphale knows now that Crowley only says what he means, but is it a good thing to do? Does it make sense? Are they ready for this? Well, he says, I'm certainly considering it. You know, leaving Los Angeles. Warlock nods and adds a little bit clumsily, Harvest is over, you know, and it turns out Adam's gonna come visit for a while. Come stay with me so we can, you know, work things out, Aziraphale thinks, much like he and Crowley need to. That'll be nice, he says instead, and means it. You'll have so much fun. Warlock, to his surprise, blushes bright red and looks away. Oh, oh, well, that's too. We haven't discussed it, Aziraphale says slowly. But assuming that things stay the way they are, it's, uh, well, it would be a goal of mine. Saying it so boldly feels almost naughty in the best kind of way. I'd like to move in with my lover. Oh, isn't that a word? It feels like a spark in his mouth, in his thoughts. Honestly, I've been setting this up so that you can do it all remotely, with travel maybe once every other month to keep generating new content. Warlock rubs his mouth with his hand, a gesture he only uses when he's trying to hide being pleased. I wasn't sure if... well. He glances up at Aziraphale, and his grin goes crooked. I thought maybe you'd want to leave LA no matter what. Go somewhere new. Not that you need a fresh start, but sometimes it's fun to have one. It's true, and Aziraphale swallows down the rising tide of excitement inside him. Fun! When was the last time he had made a decision for fun? Well, other than the six months they'd spent in wine country. He'd made a lot of fun decisions then. But before that? When had he last chosen something just to make himself smile? I'd... well, he says. I'd have to talk to Crowley about it, of course. A pause, and then... And what would you do, my dear? 
I've little interest in going so far away I don't see you anymore. Warlock ducks his head, blushing, pleased. I'll be fine, ass, he says. I'll have Adam here for a while and then we'll figure something out. Oh, and that's why he'd mentioned it so that Aziraphale would be able to make a decision without worrying for Warlock. He won't be leaving Warlock alone. The boy will have someone here to care for him as they both make their transitions. Warlock really is an amazing young man. He's so neatly taken himself out of the equation to let Aziraphale make a decision on his own. Well, he says slowly, if remote work is an option, they smile at each other, somewhat giddy. Harvest is, in fact, over without any major mishaps or losses, and Crowley has been catching up on his sleep. And gosh, Crowley can sleep! Aziraphale's delighted by it, by his sweet sleepy drawl and the way he sometimes dozes off on the phone to Aziraphale's voice. So Aziraphale sends a text and when Crowley wakes up from whatever part of his sleep schedule this is, he finds his mobile ringing. Good morning, darling, he says, and is rewarded by Crowley sputtering. It's half four in the afternoon, Angel. Aziraphale hums. Is that morning for you now? It's fun, gentle teasing between them, Something Aziraphale would love to be doing in person. I can't seem to keep track of your schedule anymore. Crowley snorts. <laughs> Don't make fun. Do you know how many nights I was up during harvest? Shh, darling, I didn't say it wasn't deserved. There's an excitement building up inside him. It's nerves, sure, but strangely good ones. He's getting swept up in it. Are you fully awake? Never, Crowley announces. I need an angel to come help me wake up. It's a silly thing, the kind of throwaway comment Crowley's been making for weeks, a gentle teasing... But that feeling inside of Aziraphale bubbles up until he's almost giddy. Well, he starts, you might get one sooner rather than later. There's a long, sharp pause and then Aziraphale hears Crowley swearing because he's dropped his mobile directly onto his nose. This has happened enough times that Aziraphale recognizes the sounds, which should be hilarious, but is mostly cute. Crowley does it often enough when he's newly awake or mostly asleep, 
And Aziraphale says something he finds endearing. Aziraphale's mostly worried about his poor face. Angel, Crowley gasps finally, as if punched in the stomach. Angel, 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 don't mess with me. You know I'm old and my heart can't take it. My heart can't take it either. Aziraphale thinks, but doesn't let himself get distracted. Crowley, did you mean it? When you... well... Um... He breathes in, sharp, exhales smooth. About living with you. He can hear Crowley's sharp, stuttering inhale through the speaker like static. It's released in a series of vowels that would make other languages jealous. What? Moving in? Crowley asks, and Aziraphale can tell he's set up now. He's picturing Crowley on the edge of his bed, a hand in his glorious hair as he stares at his mobile. Cause I meant it. When? Tomorrow? Tonight? Yesterday? Doors fucking open, Aziraphale. I mean it. Aziraphale has to pause as that statement strikes him like a hammer to a bell. Oh, heavens, he whispers into the phone. Yes, Crowley, yes. Do you mean it? Crowley barks at him in a way that's both wary and anticipatory. Do you mean it, Aziraphale? I will legitimately die if you are just asking or if you aren't sure, please. Legitimately isn't a word, Aziraphale tells him, feeling dazed and giddy. Adam says it is, Crowley tells him faintly. Adoptive lexicon and all that. Yes, Aziraphale repeats. Crowley, my dear, my darling, if you'll have me, if you still want me, want this, if you're willing to open up your home and your heart. Aziraphale chokes himself, but it isn't all bad. He's just full of emotions in this moment. He's never done this before, never risked anything like this, and yet, rather than feeling like he's dangling from a single fraying thread, Aziraphale feels... He feels surrounded by diamonds. He feels high as a kite. He feels like he himself is a light bulb, an orchid, a jellyfish throwing off radiance in the dark. Crowley, Aziraphale says very plainly, I want to come home. He hears Crowley's breath catch at that because he's listening for it. He's holding his own breath. He's floating, thrilling, shaking. His hands are tingling where they're clenched in his lap. Yeah, Crowley croaks. Come home, Angel. 
Doors open. This isn't the kind of thing I would do, I think, and then I stop. The language is faulty, the idiom flawed. If I am doing it, isn't it a thing I would do? No matter my history, my track record, the way I've made decisions my entire life. If I am doing it, then it is the kind of thing I would do because I am. It's like when someone holds up a garment and says, this is a shirt for a man. If I am a woman and I wear the shirt, isn't it then a shirt for a woman? Gender politics aside, that isn't what this is about. I feel like I'm doing something entirely uncharacteristic of myself, and yet the paradox repeats, because I am doing it. And it is the kind of thing I should always do. The kind of thing I should always have done. A thing to make myself happy. To make myself whole in a way. To reach for joy while it is there. I would say taking a chance, but I know the end result will be good and it will be good for long enough that I will be pleased. Is anything forever? No. But this is no chance. I've already taken that. This is more like a prize I might have won for myself. The treasure at the end of the rainbow. So maybe it is not what I would do, but what I should. Oh, the intricacies of linguistics. The sense of self preserved forever in these words. Dear readers, let me leave you with this, if nothing else. The phrase, follow your heart, is too simple for what I mean, but it's the starting point, a baseline. If you keep yourself open to opportunities, there will come a time when something strikes you all the way down to your core. Bone deep, heart's deep, and you'll feel frozen, ringing out like a bell, the singing chime of crystal. When that happens, do have the courage to listen. I almost did not, and I admit that. I am here upon the grace of others who supported me long enough to hear my own heart's song. Feel it. Know it. When you find your home, you'll know. Do what you should. Treasure at the End of the Rainbow Crowley texts after Aziraphale sends him the full end of the book. Angel, I love you. But that's so gay. You're so gay, Aziraphale writes back. Good one, but I'm still right. So am I. It makes him smile for the rest of the day.
it ends up taking about six weeks. Six weeks for Aziraphale to get his things in order. Six weeks as the end point of one thing and the beginning of another. He talks to his landlord with trepidation. His neighbor overhears, and it turns out there's a friend of a friend looking for a place. Aziraphale negotiates it out in a way he thinks works for all parties and wonders whether Warlock would be proud of him or whether the poor boy would laugh hysterically at the ground Aziraphale gave up. Well, and so, he's pleased with himself, and that's what matters. He and Crowley spend hours sending images back and forth, arguing happily over the phone about whose couch they should keep and where on earth will they put all of these bookshelves and Aziraphale loves every minute of it. What on earth am I supposed to do with all the orchids? Crowley yells. Aziraphale sitting on the floor with his mobile on speaker, packing up boxes of his books. They need the humidity. They can stay in the bathroom, Aziraphale tells him for the fourth time. But I need a room for my study, Crowley. Office, whatever. It's like now that they've committed to this plan, they're full speed forward, pedal to the floor, each of them more eager than anything to make it work. They bicker and badger each other and, at least over the phone, there's none of the awkwardness there Aziraphale might have expected. He'd expected a lot of things, he thinks, as he pushes the box aside. He'd expected to have more anxiety about moving. He'd expected Crowley, desperately private Crowley, to have more trouble giving up space. Instead, it's like they're aligning, drawing together like magnets. It's fun. And the fun of it is, somehow, overwhelming any underlying concerns either of them might have. They're arguing about couch pillows, and it's fun. Oh, fuck, I'm going to have to move the fucking Christmas cactus, Angel. Do you have any idea how big it is? I'm happy to share space with a few of your friends, Aziraphale tells him. Crowley grumbles, a soothingly happy sound. He's so pleased. Aziraphale knows, with all of the yelling and arguing and ranting, that this is how Crowley says yes. He can't let on that he's pleased, of course. That would be far too much to ask. Look, I'll see what I can do, Crowley says. But only four bookshelves, Angel. It's a bit ridiculous. Aziraphale gives his most offended gasp. Ha! Huh, most certainly not four bookshelves. How will I survive?
he throws a surprising amount of linens at Warlock. Look, if Adam will be staying here, you're going to want the extra towels. Who accepts them begrudgingly, but refuses to take the bedsheets. That's just weird ass, he says, grinning over a pizza. Some of his furniture will be left behind. The friend of a friend of a neighbor does need furniture, and Aziraphale's arranged to sell the pieces he won't be needing, so that he doesn't have to bother relocating them anywhere. Aziraphale expects it to feel odd, parceling out pieces of his life. Instead, it feels freeing. He doesn't need all of his towels because Crowley has towels. He doesn't have to be self-sufficient. Not for a long while, at least. He'll have Crowley. It's likely a lot of it will stay stored in Crowley's basement for a while until they get a feel for how they work. They don't need two sets of dishes, certainly, but Aziraphale refuses to throw out his lovely dishware set, so he packs it carefully with sweaters providing the buffer of protection and labels each box very carefully. Kitchen. Dishware for storage. He's taking a huge risk. They may not be able to live together. It might ruin things. Aziraphale tells himself this 16 times a day. He still feels more giddy than anything. Warlock and FTA find him an editor. She's also a contractor rather than an employee, and Aziraphale allows himself a sigh of relief he lets no one else see. Her name is Jacy. she's stationed somewhere out east, and she has the most accurate, laser-like focus on grammar and wording he's ever seen. Even though all her emails come through lacking both capitalization and punctuation of any kind, and she's constantly swearing, in email, on the phone, in her comments on Aziraphale's manuscript. Aziraphale likes her immediately. She's taking the time to edit his work down to the very last comma, and Aziraphale expects he'll be in wine country before she's done. You need to finalize the title and the dedication page. JC tells him, sounding like she's had five cups of coffee. Memoir like this, it needs a dedication. Hit people right in the fields. I think I can manage that, Aziraphale says. He hasn't yet settled on all of it, but he knows what he wants to do in his head. He just has to let the words process and come out of his fingers, as usual. The oldest vines in the Russian River Valley grow slowly, but they still grow. Year after year, 
they respond to the pull of the cycle. They bud and grow and flourish. Then the bud burst and the flowering and the fruit set as they show what they've gathered, what they're capable of. The harvest then as that golden price. And then trimming, tending, cutting back and preparing the ground for winter. But vines are not dormant in winter. They do not sleep. Below the surface, root flush happens, each plant stretching out just that bit farther. Even the old vines look to expand beneath the surface where it can't be seen. Likewise, our own growth has no end point. It's a cycle. Roots grow when we're not looking. We don't find out until we truly need to draw on them, but they're there. Aziraphale has absolutely refused to drive the moving van, and he offered Warlock free food and a few days off, so the young man is driving him the entire way. Warlock will pick up Adam from his apartment in Santa Rosa, so it isn't entirely a favour. He's absolutely stressed from packing, from watching the movers transport all of his precious things, from being in the car for hours. He feels dirty and sweaty and needs a shower. Aziraphale is incredibly cranky, and fairly grumpy. But they pull into that familiar parking lot, finally, and his heart leaps as he notices the people hanging around outside. The sign on the door says closed, and all of Crowley's friends are there. Anathema and Newt are holding hands as they lean against the building, and the them are gesturing and arguing about something, as usual. Something breaks in his chest and tightens in his heart, and Aziraphale says, Oh dear, I do think I'm going to cry. Gross, Warlock announces emphatically, but he's smiling. Do it away from me, thanks. They get out of the car. Embraces are exchanged. Aziraphale might have been embarrassed once, wearing his heart so clearly on his sleeve, but now he can greet them, take their gentle teasing, even tease back as he glances over at Crowley's house. The door opens. Warlock's heading back to instruct the movers, but every single atom of Aziraphale is turning, magnet realigning to a new point. Crowley's cut his hair. The ends of it are hovering just past his shoulders. The top half is pulled back into a loose, messy bun, as usual. He's wearing charcoal jeans with the cuffs rolled up and some kind of band tee. He's barefoot, as usual, and for some reason that's what strikes Aziraphale. 
Seeing Crowley's feet, his toes in the grass, is something so intimate in this moment. Crowley isn't wearing his glasses. He's looking at Aziraphale like someone drowning. Aziraphale doesn't remember running, but suddenly he's there, his arms around Crowley's shoulders, Crowley's hands pulling him in by the waist, and they're clinging to each other like it's the end of the world. This, Aziraphale thinks, this is the shoot. This is worth it. It takes everyone and the movers a few hours to get everything settled into Crowley's, their, house. Crowley is a whirlwind of elbows and sarcastic quips, and Aziraphale's a bit overwhelmed at it all, but eventually they have Aziraphale's couch... Wow, Angel, it's even uglier than it was in the photos, next to Crowley's armchair. They don't match at all, my dear, you're quite the liar. And his bookshelves. I said four. Up the stairs, to where Crowley has, to Aziraphale's surprise, rearranged the office to perfectly fit Aziraphale's writing desk and bookshelves. There are plants hanging from the ceiling in front of the window, and Aziraphale realizes that when he sits down to write, it'll feel like a garden. And then Crowley shoos everyone out of the house with the promise of a meal on him tomorrow, and the crowd is gone. Crowley leans up against the door and looks at him. Aziraphale is exhausted. His head feels like it's encased in fog, and his legs are aching from the strain of his book-heavy boxes. Hey, says Crowley, all crooked and tentative and happy. Welcome home, angel. Aziraphale sighs. Thank you he says, and hopes that everything he means comes out in his voice. And then they're kissing in the middle of the room, suddenly, surrounded by stacks of boxes and the smell of cardboard and tread grass. Aziraphale could weep. Crowley's kissing him like a treasure, like he's been pining for thousands of years, like Azira felt something Crowley has been craving forever. Azira felt tangles his fingers into Crowley's hair immediately. He did love the long, wild curls, but this is good too, the way it frames Crowley's neck so that Aziraphale can wrap his hands in it and tug Crowley down to him. How did I miss you this much? Crowley says, even as he's reaching for the buttons on Aziraphale's shirt. This is stupid. I'm not admitting anything. 
Aziraphale gets his hands up under Crowley's tea, fingers digging into that pale skin, the slender waist. I haven't accused you of anything yet, my darling. Stupid, Crowley repeats, his mouth immediately settling down on Aziraphale's neck. Aziraphale shudders at the touch, the faint brush of teeth against his sensitive skin. I'm fucking stupid for you, Angel. You need to know that. Certified fucking idiots, me. They stumble upstairs. They've decided to keep Crowley's bed, as it's far more decadent than what Aziraphale had. It's a quick trick to undress each other, but then once they've climbed underneath the covers, they both pause, wrapped up in each other, nothing but skin on skin. Crowley's shaking. You're here, he says into Aziraphale's neck. You're here. And I'll be here, says Aziraphale. He's overwhelmed by this. All of Crowley pressed up against him in his arms, himself then overwhelmed with Crowley. There's something that's more than a familiar scent or feel. It's like settling in, settling down, roots flushing out all around him. He might be shaking a bit himself. I'll be here, tomorrow and the day after. There's no deadline now. Fuck! Crowley wriggles in his arms, turns and kisses him deeply. Aziraphale licks into it, tugging a bit at Crowley's lower lip, pulling him closer. He wants them to face together, meld into each other. That piece of his heart he'd given Crowley, the one that had lain dormant over these months, is glowing, encompassing him with this need to pull Crowley into himself with the force of a meteor. It turns out they're both far too keyed up to do anything but kiss and shake and murmur things into each other's collarbones. It's the contact they need after this separation. Everything bared between them, pressed together. Their hands touch, their lips leave marks, but this desperate clinging is what they're both seeking, not sex. Aziraphale finds he has to run his fingers over every inch of Crowley, making sure he's all there, that nothing's changed. He feels right, and Aziraphale needs a lot more of that feeling before he'll be able to let Crowley go. Is it possible to become touch-starved when you aren't even that used to touching? Maybe he's just greedy. I love you, Aziraphale finally says, looking Crowley full in the face. 
It shocks him how much he means it. His heart pounds with it like there's gold flowing through his veins. Fuck, Crowley says eloquently, and then, shit, fuck, not what I meant to, Aziraphale, angel. Crowley reaches out to cup Aziraphale's cheek. Fuck, angel, I love you. And those words hit just as hard somehow. They're both reeling a bit. Giddy idiots, Aziraphale thinks. It takes them another long period of time in bed, muttering the words back and forth to each other, waiting to see whether they grow old. They don't. They end up dozing off together, naked limbs entwined under Crowley's lavishly soft sheets, wrapped up in each other so hard it should be impossible to sleep. It doesn't stay that way, of course. Once the need for absolute closeness has been sated, the hunger between them sparks like it has from the beginning. I remember the first time I saw you, Crowley says, pressing wet kisses along the curve of Aziraphale's belly. You were wearing a fucking sweater vest. The next time it was a goddamn bow tie. Aziraphale's listening, but most of his attention has been drawn to the press of Crowley's finger inside him, crooked just so. Aziraphale squirms and whines in his throat as the faintest hint of pleasure pulses out from his prostate, before Crowley moves his finger away again, keeping it still, millimeters away. You are a tease and a tat, Aziraphale manages to say, and it only sounds a little bit like he's panting. And you always have been. Crowley slowly slides his finger out, and then two are pressing into Aziraphale. He whines again, needy, as Crowley's fingers pump all too gently in and out. You were the most beautiful fucking thing I'd ever seen in my life, Crowley says, ducking to kiss Aziraphale's chest. It doesn't work, though, because Aziraphale can see him blushing. And I said to myself, Crowley, don't fall for the man in the goddamned bow tie. Aziraphale breathes what might be a laugh, which turns into a sob as Crowley presses both fingertips into his prostate. Crowley, please, he says, wanting to be claimed, taken, be a part of Crowley and Crowley a part of him. 
Crowley makes a wandering noise and scissors his fingers, making Aziraphale groan. His cock is aching, slick dripping down it already. I didn't even know you were AZ fell, Crowley tells him, removing both fingers and lining himself up. You just... The way your eyes lit up. Fuck, Angel, I've been yours from the very beginning. It's an admission he doesn't think Crowley could have made at any other point, but here they're both vulnerable, and Aziraphale whispers, I love you, as Crowley slides home inside him, filling him completely to the brim. JC is yelling at him. Yeah, good, we're making the changes, but you have to settle on a fucking title. There's a strange sound in the background, and Aziraphale can't tell if she's smoking or just making a funny noise. It's hard to tell. I can't shape this book unless I know what it's called. That's part of your job. Right, Aziraphale says, looking around him. His bookcases fill the room completely, and it would be claustrophobic, except for the way Crowley's chosen plants, with long trailing vines, are working their way across the ceiling on carefully placed wires. Tendrils of flowers and ivy fall down charmingly, and when they get too long, Aziraphale trims them and puts them in water on his desk. Get me that shit by tomorrow, she tells him, or I'm putting Gabriel's name in. She hangs up on him, the way she usually does. Aziraphale stares at the familiar screen of his writing computer, glances around at his collection of bookshelves, Crowley's plants interspersed between his old friends. It should feel jarring to look up and not have his familiar walls. Instead, it feels like a puzzle piece put in place. He knows if he goes downstairs, he'll find some kind of treat Crowley's left. A scone, a cinnamon roll, half a panini. It works. Crowley tends ecstasies during the days, and Aziraphale writes until he runs out of words, and then they come back together. There's something about knowing that he'll see Crowley every evening if he wants that's just comforting. Sometimes he's worn out. Sometimes Crowley's exhausted. They alternate making meals for each other. Aziraphale's are much less fancy than Crowley's, for sure, but there's a certain joy in making a meal to share, even if it's just Aziraphale's best sandwiches. He's a gourmet. They are very good sandwiches. They aren't sick of each other yet. 
They sit and watch Crowley's horrible cooking shows. He likes cutthroat kitchen and kitchen nightmares. Both of these shows give Aziraphale, a self-admitted food snob, an absolute stomach ache. They read together. Crowley on his mobile at first, but he often ends up tipped over Aziraphale's shoulder or with his head in Aziraphale's lap, demanding to be read to. And they fucked in at least half of the rooms in the house. I've wanted to do this since you moved the goddamn desk in here, Crowley says, looking up at Aziraphale from the floor, on his knees in the study, underneath his desk and his steady old work computer. Days go on. Then weeks. And then Aziraphale has been there for a month and they've just slipped into this. An orbit, the two of them revolving around one another and somehow generating a light that shines brighter than either one of them might have alone. That first month healed something in Aziraphale. A gap filled. A puzzle piece solved. A wound he didn't know was bleeding stopped. And it doesn't matter, then, being worried about the future like he was before. He's home. Aziraphale has stopped keeping track of the weeks, but when the very first copy comes, he hands it to Crowley. Nice work, Angel, Crowley says, picking it up. But I've read most of it, haven't I? Aziraphale hums and opens the cover. There are quite a few pieces you haven't read, my darling. Crowley snorts. <laughs> They'd better all be about me, or else I'm not gonna bother. Oh, Aziraphale says, handing it to Crowley with a smile. There's one bit about you that you'll want to see. Old Vines. How I found myself in the Russian River Valley. A.Z. Fell. To WTD, who continues to open doors I never knew existed. I would give you every cent I've ever owned and still be in your debt. And to AJC, a miracle I never expected to deserve. Let us grow together, tendril and trellis, until we are old vines ourselves. Stop sputtering!